Lynn my name is Sherry. Thanks, Jen. Uh, so I'm a compulsive overeater at Lemic. My name is Sherry, and I am your host for this meeting. Uh, OARI stands for Recovery Inspire Shared Experiences, and we are glad that you are all here. As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, there are glitches in online meetings that can't be anticipated, so please bear in mind that we are doing our best, so we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. Uh, however, we'd be very happy to hear from you if you would like to provide us with any kind of constructive feedback. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Okay, the serenity prayer. Will all those who wish please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, as we extend the heart and hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Uh, can I please have Jan read the preamble? Hi, I'm a compulsive overeater. My name is Jan, and this is the preamble. O Readers Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive eating, overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thank you. Thanks, Jan. Uh, we had, Dan was gonna read the 12 steps, but he seems to have been bumped off or I'm not sure what. Is there anybody else who might be able to read uh, the 12 steps for us? You might kind of have it. Uh, Oh, great. Okay, Mary, that would be awesome. Let me just unmute you. Okay. Hi, everybody. Hi, Mary. 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I'm sorry, I'm not saying the numbers. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for, his, for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive corporate eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Did you want me to go ahead and do the traditions also? Yeah, please. Thank you, Mary. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
to our for our group purpose there is but one ultimate authority a loving god as he may express himself in our group conscience our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern three the only requirement for oa membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively four each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting each other or oa as a whole five each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Over Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OAs as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those who serve. Overeaters Anonymous, 11 out of 10, sorry, Overeaters Anonymous has no, no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media by communication of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you so much for covering both of those, Mary. Um, okay, and um, we are, um, I'll just read in a second about how this meeting is gonna work. But uh, Kim is going to be focusing on the big book today. So if you guys have a big book handy and some uh, paper and a pen, that would be, or a journal and a pen, that would be great if you want to get that together. Um, and in the meantime, I'm going to tell you, uh, this is a speaker meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an audio-only recording can be posted on the oarise.org website. Um, should there be a question and answer in this meeting, which there probably will be, and you have a question for this for Kim, but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read your questions for you. So the co-host today is myself, Jan, and Janice. Uh, a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat is feature is currently turned off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Uh, please note that Kim is just noted as a co-host so that she can have the ease of access to Zoom, but she won't be responding to any of your questions um, in the chat with regards to um, the meeting. So if you have any questions, once again, just contact Jan or Janice or myself. Uh, you can change your name as it appears on Zoom. To do this, click on the participants tab at the bottom of your screen and a list of attendees will open up in a window pane. Select your own name, click on the tab that says more and choose rename. If you're willing, please add your geographical location after your name so that we can see where everyone is from. And out of a courtesy to other attendees and the speaker, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone or talk to someone who is in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we'll be happy to turn it back on again when you're ready. Just send a message in chat to any of the co-hosts and they will enable your video again. Please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. Um, and we will be taking a five minute break about halfway through. 
And uh, finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. And uh, just touching on our seven tradition, according to our seven tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, which is info at oarise.org, or you can visit our website at oarise.org and click the Contribute Now button, which is easily found on the home screen. A suggested donation of $3 will allow the OA Rise speaker meetings to continue. Okay, now that all the business is done, it's time to get to Kim. It's now my great pleasure to introduce Kim as our speaker today. And I'm turning it over to you, Kim. Thank you so much for coming and being with us. Thank you, Sherry. And thanks for the invitation to come and speak today. So just so y'all know um, kind of what the setup's gonna be, um, we are, it is, you know, it's been, we're gonna have a break in the middle. So what we're gonna cover today is step one. Um, step one is described in the big book through two characteristics, allergy of the body and mental twist. So we're gonna spend the first half of this talking about a little introduction to that idea, going over um, the allergy portion. We're gonna have a little exercise, which is why I want you to have a pen and paper to help you identify what your specific binge foods are. Um, then we're going to ha have that break. Um, we'll have, after that exercise, we'll have Q&A. So as long as you guys are asking questions, we'll, we'll continue with that. Then we'll have that little five minute break Sherry was talking about. And then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about the mental twist. And I again, have a little exercise we're gonna do. I have a little handout I'm gonna share, which I will then forward to Sherry because um, apparently you can access that on those handouts um, on the website. And then we'll have to finish with another Q&A for that. So hopefully um, you guys will participate with the Q&A. It's always what I find most helpful for participants. So just a little bit about me. My name is um, Kim G. I am from South Jersey Intergroup. That's right outside of Philadelphia, that little state of New Jersey. We actually have five intergroups in New Jersey. So I'm from South Jersey Intergroup. I've been in OA since 1994. Um, I have been recovered and abstinent since January of 2011. So you can see there's a big gap there. You know, I have 17 years where I was going in and out of the food. And I have to tell you that one of the reasons I love doing a workshop like this is because I think one of the big problems I had is I didn't understand step one. You know, when we said in our meetings, you know, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides ourselves? And I would raise my hand wildly. I realize now what I was raising my hand to was I'm fat and I don't wanna be fat anymore, or I'm no longer fat and I'm terrified of getting fat again. I was defining my disease by my consequences as opposed to the root causes, which is an allergy of the body and the mental twist. So if I didn't understand the cause of my disease, I wouldn't understand the treatment of my disease. Um, so for myself, the way those, those uh, consequences came out um, in my early 20s, I was uh, diagnosed as morbidly obese. I was a size 24. I don't, I don't actually give you weight because who gets on a scale when you're that size, right? I just know I had to buy a size 24. Um, I then, you know, the obvious uh, reaction when someone diagnoses you morbidly obese is to say, screw you, I'm gonna keep eating. And then I got frustrated and angry and I was taught bulimia in college and I decided I'm gonna really work on this bulimia thing. And I got down to the current size I am now, which is a size 10, binging and purging and over-exercising. And that is actually when I came into OA. 
because I was terrified because my mind was more insane trying to maintain this bulimia than in the numbed out way I was when I was a size 24. But even in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, disrespecting a 12-step program by treating it like a diet program with group support, disrespecting a 12-step program and only doing the tools, disrespecting a 12-step program and treating it like junior therapy, I got down to a size zero, size two zero, where I was underweight. So I was all over this, this disease, yet because I wasn't understanding allergy to the body and the mental twist, I would get periods of relief, but I never found freedom. It wasn't until 11 years ago when I became a student of the big book and I understood what I suffered from, suddenly those steps two through 12 became absolutely necessary. So just to kind of, um, and, and this is a little PSA, if any of this stuff interests you today, um, I do do a, a monthly step one workshop that is broken up this way with another compulsive overeater. Um, and I have my email and my uh, text number there. You can text me, I can send you the flyer for that. It's the second Saturday of every month. I also run some closed workshops um, on step one. I have one on step 10, 11, and I have one that goes through all 12 steps. So if any of you, um, are interested, you can always text me and I can give you the next start dates for these little, these smaller closed workshops. Um, so let's talk about this, this, what does this mean to have this disease? So Dr. Silkworth in the doctor's opinion, which is in the Roman numerals of the big book, but I don't know about you all. I never read the Roman numerals much my, in my lifetime. So, um, this gentleman, this Dr. Silkworth, uh, was a neurologist in the 1920s and it's estimated he worked with about 50,000 alcoholics and he started to notice there were different types of alcoholics there was a certain type they would come in from the consequences of their drinking and he would dry them out and they would leave the hospital and he would never see them again there was another percentage that they would come into the hospital from the consequences of their drinking he would help dry them out they'd leave they come back a second time maybe a third time and he would sit them down and have a conversation about, look what happens when you start drinking. My suggestion is don't start drinking and you won't have any problems. I'm a kid of the eighties. This to me is the Nancy Reagan, you know, just say no campaign. And those people never came, never needed to come back to the hospital. But there was a certain percentage, he estimated about 10% that no matter how many times he dried them out, and no matter how many times he explained the consequences, if they drank again, <clears throat> they would return to the hospital over and over and over. So this book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program, Overeaters Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, we are made for the 10%. We're not made for the 90%. So I got a spoiler alert for you. If you have a weight problem or a food problem, diets do work. You decrease your calories, you increase your exercise, you will be fine. But if you have the two characteristics that we're going to talk about today, the allergy of the body and the mental twist, unless you have a spiritual awakening, unless you put all those foods down, you're going to continue to eat over and over and over. So we're going to jump in this doctor's opinion. We're going to go to page Roman numeral uh, 28, which is XXVIII. That is if you have the third edition, I mean, the fourth edition of the big book. If you do not have the fourth edition, it is the fourth page of the big book. Um, I know people have multiple editions and multiple things now with that. So the last paragraph of that um, 
page is going to talk about the interaction of allergy to body mental twist because I have to identify do I have both and that means I need overeaters anonymous so it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false to them their alcoholic life is the only normal one so this effect was huge for me because I really thought, and I have to tell you, honestly, I did not come into Overeaters Anonymous to stop eating Oreos. I came into Overeaters Anonymous for you to teach me how to have three Oreos and stop. And what I had to see is that my body is different and I get an effect. And looking back at my own history, when I was angry, I wanted something crunchy to gnaw on. When I was sad, I wanted something cold and smooth. When I was hyperactive, I wanted carbohydrates to, to calm me down. When I was exhausted, I wanted sugar to pep me up. I was medicating. I was getting an effect from that food. You know, when people would come to me in whatever stage of my obesity, my bulimia, my being underweight, and they would look at me and they say, Kim, can't you see what the food is doing to you? Why are you doing it? And all I could say was, I know what the food is doing for me. Why aren't you doing it? Because what happens to me physically is different than what happens to other people. I get an effect and it can be elusive. You know, when you go into an overeaters, I mean, AA meeting and they say, get sober, it's pretty clear what that means. In Overeaters Anonymous, I heard it described beautifully as an umbrella fellowship. So right now we have 15 people in this meeting. All of us have the same definition of abstinence. We have to abstain from those foods, those ingredients, and those behaviors which create the phenomenon of craving. The challenge we have in OA is what creates the phenomenon of craving in me may not create it in you and vice versa, which is why we're going to do an exercise towards the end to help you identify your binge foods, ingredients, and behaviors. However, understand that this exercise we're going to do is really, I'm hoping, going to open you up to a dialogue to have it's not going to give you the answer. It's going to open you up to a dialogue to talk to recovered people about it. So it's elusive in that way. We have to identify it. So for example, the silly example I often use is I, I watch them, the, the TV um, movie Ocean's Eleven and I see George Clooney and everyone tells me how good looking he is. And I agree, he's a good looking guy. But the second that, that, um, that Brad Pitt walks on that screen, I don't notice anything else. Blonde hair, blue eyes, over six feet, kind of looking like a surfer dude. Oh my gosh. Since I was, since I was in puberty, my heart goes a flutter, my stomach gets butterflies. I can't explain it to you, but I know how it physically is different. When I walk into a room with 30 guys, I know which guy is gonna like, you know, put icing on my cookies, right? I, I understand that. So I might say, I don't know. I feel like I eat everything. I, I can binge on anything. If, you know, I, I, when I look at this with a recovered person and I'm honest about those foods, I know what they are. Think about it. When you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, what are those foods that you're angry that they're running out of? And what are those foods that you don't care whether they're in the buffet or not? When you go into the grocery store, what are those aisles that you have memorized? And what are those aisles you have no idea what, what's down there? I mean, I, let me see if she's next to me. Yep, my little dog just curled up next to me. You know, I don't know what's in the cat aisle. No idea. But I can tell you exactly what's in the dog aisle because that's what's important to me. And it says we cannot differentiate the truth from the false. Our alcoholic life is the only normal one. That's why we need recovered people in our life. 
I need someone who has neutrality around their food to help me identify what my foods are. Because in and of myself, I'm going to lie to myself. I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. You know, I, I'm not going to share it. I'm just going to describe it. But I saved a calendar thing from my, my little calendar because it said, if I don't slice the cake, isn't it just one piece and I can have it? Like that's the mind that I'm up against. I'm just going to have one. You know, gosh, when Costco opened up or Sam's Club or BJ's, whatever is around you, and they made those Dorito bags this big, that's just one serving in my mind. So how can I understand how to, how to help me with that? That's why I need recovered people. I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. My alcoholic life is the only normal one. However, if that was my only problem, then again, put me in a rehab and just separate me from my, my foods. And I someone could have a rational conversation like Dr. Silkworth had and says, whoa, look what happens to you, Kim, when you have pizza. Don't have pizza and you won't have the problem. If I was sane, I wouldn't need Overeaters Anonymous. So this is the way I think about it. We're gonna go into the mental twist of this, of this little um, thing in it next. Is for me personally, I put the food down. First two days, I'm pretty good, right? Cause I got enough running through me. Day three to five, three to seven, three to 10, I am dying. That's the physical craving. That's the withdrawal that I'm going through. And once I go through that withdrawal, usually about two weeks, whew, I'm feeling good. I'm going into OA meetings saying, God's removed the obsession. Well, God hasn't done squat because I haven't done squat. What I'm feeling is the freedom from the allergy not being triggered. For me personally, I sleep a little bit better. I'm not as reactive, that seven second delay. I mean, when I'm in the food, it's like a Peanuts you know, cartoon where all the adults are like, wah, 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 wah. That's all I can hear. And then maybe I even get my 30-day coin. But by day 35, day 40, I want that food. I'm saying I'm craving. I want that food so bad. Well, it can't be the physical allergy. It's not a craving. It's a physical, that's, that's, that's the physical part. What I'm feeling is the mental obsession. And the mental obsession is why I need the steps. So it says here, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few bites. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So that restless, irritable discontentment I'm describing, that's the consequences of sobriety. I personally am just a compulsive overeater. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I love going to AA meetings. I love going to NA meetings. Why is that? I don't relate into the AA, the, the alcohol part or the, the physical allergy part. But when an alcoholic talks about what they feel like when they're not drinking, when a drug addict talks about how they feel when they're not using, that's exactly how I feel when I'm not eating, which is why this 12-step program has 200 12-step programs. Why? Because we might have different allergies, but our real problem is how do I feel when I'm not eating? You know, I think to myself, just to kind of do this interaction, pizza is one of my favorite binge foods. And I just want to preface this too. When I say pizza, don't think, oh, I shouldn't have pizza. Try to relate in what are the foods, ingredients, and behaviors that when Kim describes what's happening to her when she eats pizza, what are the food ingredients and behaviors that, that I feel the same way? I get that phenomenon of craving about. So for example, I said with pizza, you know, I have two slices of pizza and I put the rest of the pizza in the refrigerator, right? 
And I, I said, I'm not going to have any more. I'm done. Have my two slices. And in the middle of the night, I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I go and I eat the rest of the pizza. And then the, ne the next time I order pizza, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to have my two slices. And I wrap the, the um, pizza in some tinfoil, but then I throw it in the trash. I'm not going to have it. I'm not going to have it. And I still get up two o'clock in the morning and I dig the pizza out, the tinfoil out of the trash and I eat it. And the next time I'm like, nope, this time I can't be doing it. I, I, two slices is okay. It's that third slice. I'm just going to have my two slices. And this time I throw the rest of the pizza in the trash without the tinfoil. And I still get up in the middle of the night and I wipe off the, you know, all the other food or whatever else is in the trash. And I still eat the pizza. And then I remember one night I do the same thing, have my two slices, throw out the pizza, but this time I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And I put Ajax on top of the pizza and I throw the pizza in the trash and I get up two o'clock in the morning, tears rolling down my face. And I wind up going into the, into the trash, wiping off the Ajax to the best of my ability. And I eat the pizza. So again, I don't like pizza that much. There is something because of that allergy being triggered in me that requires me to have that pizza. But then once again, how do I feel when I'm not having it? You know, when, when I, when am I, the, the food is out of me and I need it more than anything. You know, I remember there were times when I, I moved in with my parents after college and I'm trying to be a good girl and I'm so stressed at work because they're all going to figure out I'm an idiot and I'm just stressed, 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 stressed. And finally I can't take it. I've been trying not to diet for a while and I can, I drive to a grocery store and I put a big tub of icing in my box, in my my cart and I can feel myself my shoulders are starting to relax just knowing the icing is in my cart and when I check out I'm afraid of the five ten minute drive back to my parents house so I throw in M&Ms or something so I can at least have something in my mouth so that vibrations that I when I'm not eating that's the restless irritable discontent so how does this interact with each other it says here Top of the next page, after they have succumbed to the desire again. So succumbed is, a, is yielding to a superior force. The desire is like an obsession, a persistent, consistent preoccupation. That's how it feels to me. I'm going along happy, joyous, and free, you know, not, not doing step work, but just like you know, living off the allergy, not being triggered. And boom, all of a sudden, all I can think of is I got to have the food. I got to have the food because I got a promotion and I'm terrified that I'm going to fail or I got fired and now I don't have a job. Doesn't matter. I start, to, I start to vibrate with anxiety. And I think if the food's gonna fix it, the food's gonna fix it. And I succumb, I yield to that superior force. This is just my opinion, but I think we do a lot of damage in this fellowship saying slips, right? I, I've never accidentally fallen into a brownie and eaten it. What has happened is I get restless, irritable discontent and that I succumb to that desire again. And once that happens, as they pass through the well, um, then the phenomenon of craving develops. So once again, I don't have the craving until I, I eat the food. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful. So the spree is that, do you know what I'm saying? You remember like when you're, well, at least for me, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good girl, trying to be a good girl. And I finally order the pizza, right? And I can feel myself with that first bite, my whole body relaxing. Even like I said, the icing's in the, in the, in the car. But then I'm two, four, three, five sleeves, bags, boxes into the into it. I'm not even tasting the stuff. 
So then I emerge remorseful with a firm resolution not to eat again. I swear to God, this time is different. Monday morning, beginning of the month, 2022, that's my year. But it says here, this is going to happen over and over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So I just wanna put a pin in that for a minute. And we're gonna to go to the next page, which is XXX, the last paragraph. It says, all these and many others have one symptom in common. So once again, if you're someone that's a hundred pounder, or if you're someone that's bulimic, whether you throw up, use, use uh, Epicac or use exercise, whether you're underweight, and anorexic, whether you're yo-yo diet or going up in 20, 30 pounds, what unites us all in Overeaters Anonymous? We have one symptom in common. We cannot start eating without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So my keen alcoholic mind looks at the word suggest us next to abstinence. And I think abstinence is suggested, right? Well, the big book and specifically this chapter is very clear that we have to be abstinent in order to do the steps. My, uh, my experience in OA was I was told I could do the steps to get abstinent or I could abstinence to do the steps. The big book is clear. I have to be abstinent first. I have in step one, as I'm learning about my disease, I need to put the food down to move to step two. So we'll go back to that line I love, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Simplest way I heard it explained, I can't get the effect from the steps if I'm still getting the effect from the food. So the only way not to have the allergy being triggered, the only suggestion they have is entire abstinence. So I have, to I have to identify all those foods, all those ingredients and all those behaviors and I have to put them all down 100%. Now, if we flip back to the page before, it says an entire psychic change. So that mental twist, my mind not being able to get comfortable and when it happens to me, food is a really good anesthetic and when the food goes down, life gets loud. And the only way I know how to quiet it down is to put up, put down, put, um, pick up the food. And what happens is an entire psychic change, meaning I go through all 12 steps and I no longer want the food. So I have entire abstinence, which means all those foods have to be put down and then there's not gonna be anything in my body. So therefore the allergy is not gonna be triggered. I have, I have a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps that, that treats the mental twist. And the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous is not that I'm gonna be strong enough to resist the food one day at a time, keep myself busy enough, scrambling, avoiding people, places and things, avoiding my triggers, not getting too hungry, angry, lonely, tired. All those, those sayings in our room, which my experiences, they're dieting slogans. And then I go to bed, go, whoo, beat the food for today. No, the 12 steps offer us freedom. So what happens is when I get to the end of the 12 steps, it's not that I'm strong enough to resist the food. I don't want the food. I have to tell you, my life right now is very complicated. I live in, I had moved my elderly parents next door to me. They're 80 and 85. My mom's got dementia at 80. My dad's in a walker at 85. I do all their food shopping and a lot of their cooking. I'm constantly around my binge foods. Total neutrality. I feel safe and protected. The obsession's been removed and I do it as a service as their daughter. 
That's what I've experienced the last 11 years. So now we're gonna go into a little bit about the allergy and then we're gonna do a quick exercise and then we're gonna open up for some, some questions and answers. So we go back to Roman numeral 28, that first paragraph is gonna talk about the allergy. It says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics, that's the 10%, that's my term, the 10%, is the manifestation of an allergy and that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. So I love the definition of an allergy where it is a exaggerated um, reaction to a substance, exaggerated abnormal reaction to a substance. So I don't know if anyone in this meeting is, is also an alcoholic. I am not an alcoholic. So if I sat down with someone who is an alcoholic and we both had five shots of tequila, we both get drunk because that's the normal response to alcohol. But what's going to happen to me is I feel a little bit sick, a little bit tipsy, a little bit out of control, a little bit nauseous. I don't like that feeling and I don't want any more alcohol. The alcohol is going to get charged up, excited more. Let's go to Vegas kind of feeling. And they're going to have more and more alcohol. So if nine out of 10 people react like me and one out of 10 people react like the alcoholic, it just means they're having an abnormal, exaggerated reaction to a substance. The reason that's important to me is it took the guilt and the shame away. I don't have, you know, I just have poor willpower. I have poor character. Why can't I stop when other people can? I'm, I'm different. And it's not, a, it's, it's a physical response. I've never known someone who's allergic to shrimp and their throat close up. And I tell them that the problem is they need more willpower and they'd be able to eat the shrimp and their throat wouldn't close up. They have a physical response beyond their control. I have a physical response beyond my control. What is that physical response? Cause see that confused me a little bit because I thought to myself like, you know, allergy, you know I can have enough pasta for a family of 10. I'm not breaking out in a rash. I'm not getting watery eyes. I'm not sneezing. That's the colloquial definition of allergy. The fact that I can sit down and have enough pasta for a family of 10 is my allergic response. It's normal to me, but it's an exaggerated abnormal reaction to having pasta, right? So. What is that feeling as the phenomenon of craving? It's this feeling that intensifies and never satisfies. The way I heard it described in the last year, which I love, it's beautiful, is that first bite asks for the second bite. The second bite requires the third bite. And that third bite demands the fourth bite. So I'll just give you an example for me. My favorite food by far is a tomato. Love them. Just finished the great New Jersey. August is the best time for tomatoes. And if you said to me, Kim, I want you to have one tomato, no more, no less. And by the end of the 30 days, you could have a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. I'd make the money like that because I love a tomato, but I love a hundred thousand dollars more. But if you said to me, Kim, I will give you a million dollars. If you have two slices of pizza every day, no more, no less for 30 days. I never, ever make that money. Why is that? I mean, my God, spaghetti sauce is on top of a, a pizza. It's, it's a tomato. Well, the difference for me is one of my key allergic ingredients is flour. And I, the way I just describe it is that that phenomenon of craving happens. And the way I like to describe it too is I cannot reasonably predict what's going to happen. I can reasonably predict what's going to happen when I have a tomato. I cannot reasonably predict what's gonna happen when I have a flower product. 
Maybe some days I, 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 can, I can have the couple slices. Most, most days I'm gonna have a couple slices, a couple pies. Some days I may not have any, but I cannot reasonably predict it. That phenomenon of craving that intensifies and never satisfies, again, explains to me why I have those first couple Oreos and it's and that I'm three, four, five sleeves in and I can't even taste it and I, I'm choking it down because that phenomenon of craving is going on in my body. And this does not happen in the average temperate drinker. So I can never have any alcohol in any form at all. A great way, I, we're gonna do a little exercise for identifying it, but a great way I heard it described too is what are those foods that I'm gonna barter, I'm gonna negotiate, and I'm gonna grieve over. I remember the moment in a Friday night meeting, I've been in OA for a year or so, and at the end of the meeting, I'm crying to this woman, telling her all the things I cannot stop eating. And she very calmly said to me, did you ever notice all those foods have flour in it? And I swear I wanted to punch her. I don't even know who she is. She's, she's the one that taught me the allergy because I was so angry. I cried for days. I thought I would never be able to eat in a restaurant again. This is me. This is for me personally too, which is one part of the exercise we're going to do. It's so much easier to get down to ingredients. Trying to memorize like 600 foods is so much more difficult down to ingredients. Again, just an example for me. Um, love tomatoes again, love salsa, but one of my binge ingredients is sugar. And if I go to a grocery store and I go to the regular shelving area and I look at all the salsas and I pull them off the, the shelf, I, I personally have not found a salsa that doesn't have sugar in it. But if I go to the refrigerated section, I find plenty of salsas that don't have sugar in it. Why is that? Because sugar is, an, is a preservative and companies wanna make money and the longer they can keep it on that shelf, the more money they're gonna make. So they put the preservative of sugar in it. So I am not allergic to salsa. I am allergic to sugar. And when I check the ingredients in the back of a label, it allows me to see that. So again, just, you know, more, just things to think about is I hear a lot of terms about um, recreational sugar, like, like your body gives a crap if the sugar's in a cupcake or in a whole wheat muffin. Your body can't differentiate that. Never alcohol in any form. So I think to myself, I happen to be allergic to penicillin, had a really bad reaction as an infant, don't even know what it was. It's been grilled into me, do not have penicillin. So when I go to the doctor and I'm sick and he wants to give me amoxicillin, I have never in my life thought, huh, I wonder if I have a threshold to penicillin. Let me see if I can convince my doctor if I need 10 milligrams of amoxicillin, maybe I can have three milligrams of penicillin and seven milligrams of amoxicillin. I would never take that chance, never. Yet I hear so often, I know I did it. Well, maybe if it's the fifth ingredient or maybe if it's organic or maybe if it's, um, you know, maybe if, let's say this dude's a shrimp idea, someone who's allergic to shrimp. I've never known someone to say, well, you know, I think it's just shrimp that comes out of Maine. So I think if I eat shrimp that comes from Louisiana, I think I'll be okay. Yet I've heard people say that all the time, you know, well, maybe, maybe if it's, it's a, I'm buying at the high-end grocery store and not at the, at, the, at the convenience store, maybe I can have it. Why do we do that? I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just, what I'm trying to do is different is give examples of I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. My alcoholic is the only normal one. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be justifying this and justifying this and justifying this. So 
I go over my food with, with my with, with sponsor. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this red light, green light, yellow light thing. I often do that with my sponsees. What that means is the red foods are the foods that you absolutely know you're going to binge on. The green foods are you know the ones you don't really care less about, not a problem with. And those yellow foods are the ones you're not sure. And I have to tell you, I'm going to blow this, blow this, uh, my ammo out of this, but there's no such thing as a yellow food. No, there's not. You're, you don't have an occasional allergy. But why yellow foods are important is because it's usually the foods we're confused about. So again, for me, one of my foods was French fries. Because sometimes I would eat a lot of them, sometimes I wouldn't. I was really confused. And when I was going over these foods with, with a recovered person, I remembered friends joking with me, Kim, why don't you have some French fries with your ketchup? Because you couldn't see my French fry because there was so much ketchup on it. Well, ketchup is basically sugar and red food dye. So what I was doing was I was using a potato as a vehicle to get my um, binge food into me, which was the sugar. And once I separated them out, I have to tell you, I might have a potato once a month because I really don't like potatoes. I was just using it. Same thing with baked potatoes, putting butter and sour cream and cheese on it. And uh, what if you have it plain? Ew. Well, if it's ooh, then maybe it's not the potato. Maybe it's the way you're preparing it. You know, I remember uh, someone asking me to help someone who kept, you know, every three days was picking up and her food seemed clean and they were really confused. So I was talking to her and, and so I said to her, so, you know, can you tell me how you prepare those foods? And this is, cannot differentiate the true from the false or alcoholic life is the only normal one. This girl was not lying. It just never occurred to her to mention, well, on my chicken, I put butter. And on my potato, I put butter. And on my vegetables, I put butter. And on my apple, I put butter. So the chicken was fine. The vegetable was fine. The potato was fine. The apple was fine. She was putting her binge food because her binge food was high fat food. Her binge food were animal fats, but it was so normal to her. She didn't even think of mentioning it to her sponsor. And this is why we have to look at this in that way. Um, so I think we're at, okay, we've been talking now for like a little over a half hour. So we're going to do the exercise. So I want you to take out a piece of paper and I'm going to give you all a minute because it's going to be the easiest test you've ever taken. I want you to write your first, your top 10 binge foods. I'm going to give you a minute for that. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to share my screen. And I'm an accountant, so of course I make a spreadsheet. That's what I do. So this is a little spreadsheet. These are some of the most common 
ingredients. Once again, you might have some, you might have, you might not have, uh, there might be ones that aren't on this list that you have as well. So this is just a general exercise. Again, I hope that you have discussions with people about this. So across your paper, you're going to put sugar, flour, high fat, salt, and artificial sweeteners. So what I want you to do is you're going to go across with your food and you're gonna look at a food, let's say my pizza. I'm gonna look at that sugar, no. Flour, yes. High fat, yes. Salt, no. No artificial sweeteners. And I want you to go across and put check marks next to each of these categories of each of your binge foods. And I'm gonna give you a minute and a half to do that. Okay, so now unfortunately you're going to have to do math. So what I want you to do is at the bottom of the page, count up how many of those 10 binge foods have sugar, how many of those 10 binge foods have flour, how many have high fat, how many have salt, and how many have sweeteners. And I'm going to give you a minute to do that. Okay, so I'm gonna stop sharing my screen. And again, this is about this is about trying starting a conversation. 
So I want to encourage you guys to call recovered people and have conversations about what that that um, that thing this uh, exercise has, does for you. And for those of you who are not familiar with the big book, this word recovered, I know sometimes in a way it gets kind of twitchy. Um, but why I'm saying recovered is recovered is someone who has absolutely gone through all 12 steps and has had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. We are not promised neutrality around the food until we get into 10, 11, and 12. My opinion, again, I think what happens a lot is a lot of meetings who people aren't working through the steps, everybody has to eat alike or they get scared. My sponsor has to eat just like me because I'll be triggered by her mentioning foods that I can't eat. So she has to eat exactly like me. Well, the reason that is because you haven't had a spiritual awakening yet. So in order to have someone help you individually discover what you for your foods are, it's best to speak to someone who has neutrality around their foods because otherwise you're going to, that person's going to inflict their abstinence on you. And, and just in general, if, if, um, if some, if you're abstaining from something you're not allergic to, that's not helpful, but it's not harmful. But if someone else is saying, well, I have this, you can have it and you're allergic to, that's deadly. So that's why it's so essential we find out individually what our, what our ingredients, our behaviors and our food is. So I'm hoping I'm gonna do a couple like little, um, a, uh, like a summary of a couple things and then we're gonna open up for Q and A. And I just wanna encourage people, you know, one of the best services you can do in a workshop like this is to ask a question because I'm sure that you're sitting there going, I wish somebody would ask this question. I wish someone would ask this question. So when you ask a question, it's usually something that somebody else doesn't have the courage to, or doesn't have the kind of the courage, but isn't feeling comfortable asking. So it's a great service to do in a workshop like this. So a couple concepts I want to um, talk about. Number one, difference of the difference between my abstinence and my food plan. It's not uncommon for me to ask someone what's their abstinence and they'll tell me, well, I have two ounces of oatmeal, one cup of milk, you know, banana, what, what, and I'm like, no, 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 that's your food plan. Abstinence is what do you abstain from? What are those foods, those ingredients and behaviors that create the phenomenon of craving? That's what Overeaters Anonymous is here to do for you. That's what recovered people can help you with. Your food plan is how you arrange those foods and that, you, that you're not allergic to. And that, oh wait, we don't know. That's why you have to go to a medical professional, a nutritionist um, or a doctor, and they can help you say for your age group, for your, you know, your medical condition, for your history, this is what, how many times a day, what frequency, you know, and this is just for me again, but I so remember I belonged to a group that everybody, you know, like the, the food plan, it was, just, it was just a really strict group. And I just remember this little girl, four foot 10, handing her food plan to her, her new sponsee who was a guy who was six foot one. And I'm just thinking mathematically, that makes no sense whatsoever, right? So we go to a, a medical professional for our food plan, but we go over as anonymous will help us understand our abstinence. So just to see how those go together is if I discover during my, my review of my food that I'm allergic to broccoli and I go to a nutritionist and she says, okay, part of your food plan is you have to have three servings of vegetables a day. And I say, thank you very much, nutritionist. But I know one of those, those um, vegetables can't be broccoli. So if a nutritionist is telling me to do something that's against my abstinence, I will, I will nod, but I will not take that because I know I can't have specific foods, ingredients, and behaviors, whether or not the nutritionist is, is telling me that I can have them. 
but I take the medical information about the frequency, the quantities, and whatever else that is nutritionally that I need to do. The other thing is my abstinence is defined by what creates the phenomenon of craving. So I often like ask them what their abstinence is, and they'll say, well, I'm lactose intolerant, so I don't eat milk. That's not a part of your abstinence. So for example, with me, I discovered, I guess like six years, six or seven years ago, um, I'm very cheap and my company had free, I, I'm not allergic to artificial sweeteners. So my company had Diet Coke and it was free. So I would have a Diet Coke in the morning and a Diet Coke in the afternoon. And I wouldn't have it in the weekend because I'm not a big soda person. And Sunday nights I was getting these migraines and I was getting, I think I have like a stomach flu and somebody at work, when I told her about it, she's like, Kim, I bet you, I bet you that's the caffeine. That's what you're describing is caffeine withdrawal. And I'm like, holy crap. So I have never had caffeine again. I abstain from caffeine, but I don't have any phenomenon of craving. I only drank it because it was free, didn't, didn't binge on it and didn't care when it wasn't there. And I have no mental twist because as soon as my brain said, said um, migraines equals caffeine, I don't want caffeine. So yes, I abstain from caffeine, but it's not a part of my abstinence. Second, I want to give you an example of behaviors. Weighing and measuring is a big thing in Overeaters Anonymous and people fight it and all this stuff. One of my behaviors is volumes. So if I can't have the Snickers bar I really want, I can eat enough mashed potatoes to create that same effect. So I weigh and measure so that I don't get the effect of volume. There are other people who are anorexic who get an effect of restriction. So they weigh and measure because they have to make sure they eat enough not to create that restriction phenomenon of craving. There are other people who weigh and measure because it just is a good way to count their calories. So they do it. It's, not, it's part of their food plan, but it's not a part of their abstinence. And there's other people that don't weigh and measure at all. So the question that you're going to ask yourself is, what behaviors create the phenomenon of craving? I'll give you another one for me. Grazing. Eating a little bit all day long. So part of my abstinence is I have to have definite beginning and endings of meals. And I don't get to randomly have snacks. I don't get to have my protein at 11 and my vegetable at 12 and my fruit at one because I get a charged up excited feeling from that. So one more example, and then we're gonna open up for Q&A is I had a sponsor. And um, if we both went to lunch and we both forgot our fruit because of the phenomenon of craving in me, I can't go home and have that fruit. It just has to be gone because I get a charged up excited feeling of going home and getting something else to eat between meals. My sponsor gets a charged up excited feeling from getting away with something. So she has to go home and have the fruit. Otherwise the phenomenon of craving happens in her. So here we are, two compulsive overeaters, same situation, but understanding what the phenomenon of craving feels like in us lets us know how we have to, through our own abstinence, handle that situation. So with that, I wanted to open up for questions and answers. So I don't know, Shard, you come in and I don't know how this works. I'm sorry. Yeah, if people want to raise their hand, uh, then I will unmute them. Um, so if anybody has questions, please feel free to raise your hand, which is uh, down at the bottom of your screen under reactions. There is a raise hand button. <sighs> Uh, Gigi, go ahead. Hi, I'm Gigi. I'm a compulsive overeater. 
I'm sorry I joined the meeting a little bit late, uh, but I have uh, one of the fellows invited me and I'm very glad that I came. Um, I see that you're OA famous, Kim. I looked you up on the, <laughs> the vision for you and I'm like, oh my God, is that Kim, the Kim G? Okay, so <laughs> I'm very grateful that I'm, I'm, you know, sitting here watching you in this, uh, in this, as a speaker today and jotting down notes. But my question is, um, is there any place that I can find a list of the, these um, compulsive behaviors you were talking about? Because I would really like to see, uh, you know, I kind of look at them and see which ones I have. Um, because I was really looking at, you know, trigger foods and portions and all that stuff, but I never really considered, I know a couple like standing up or in the car, you know, but I, is there a comprehensive list somewhere of many of these uh, behaviors that I could find? No, I, I think what you have to do is understand what that phenomenon of craving feels like in you. And then you can generalize it to when you're experiencing that. So that's why I want to encourage you to have conversations with recovered people, because if you talk about the times that you can't stop eating, the times that you're tortured by wanting to do this, that, or the other thing, they can help you identify that. But you brought up a good point, Gigi, too, with about like standing up, eating in the car. I had to differentiate between things that create the phenomenon of craving and things I just need to do to support my abstinence. Same with the difference between abstinence and the food plan. So for example, um, I binged a lot in my car because my mom's in OA and I was living at home and I didn't want her to smell the food I was having. So I would just eat everything in my car before I went in the house. But as a recovered woman, I eat my car all the time because if I'm going someplace and I it's at a mealtime, I'll bring my food with me and then eat it before I go into a party or something like that. So that wasn't my abstinence. It was something I needed to do to support my abstinence while I was going through the steps. So that's why you want to understand what the, the phenomenon of craving feels like with you with a behavior, as opposed to something you might just need to do to support it. Like, for example, I didn't eat in front of a television when I was going through steps. I need to be fully present when I was eating. I'm single. I eat every meal in front of a television now. Um, because I because I haven't had a spiritual awakening. Does that help at all, though? Yeah, it does. I just um, I guess I have to put some thought into it. Like I have a lot of the other um, you know things that I've been doing along the way, but I never really considered those. But there isn't anywhere. There's like a little short list or something. <laughs> no, but again, I wouldn't. On your own, Gigi, you're not going to figure it out, right? Your brain is screwed up. <laughs> yeah is talk to recovered people, maybe ask them what some of their behaviors are, see if you can relate in when they talk about that behavior, you know, um, and then also to think when you're going through your day, I don't know if you're abstinent or not, but if you're going through your day and you're feeling pulled in different, different ways of doing things, like for example, one of mine is two is lookalikes. Like I can make a pretty crappy pancake out of non-sugar and flour products and I'm still gonna get off on it because it looks like a pancake. I get a charged up excited feeling by that. So I can't have any kind, I can't have a cauliflower pizza. It looks like a pizza. So that was something I started to see that my got that charged up excited, gotta have more feeling when I try to make my non-abstinent ingredients into my binge foods. But because I understood what the phenomenon craving feel like, felt like in me, I could see that. So I, I, I encourage you not trying to figure it out and instead having discussions with people that are recovered that can help guide you to what that what that's conclusion would be. Thank you. Great questions. Good service to the meeting, Gigi. Thank you. Um, I have a question. 
I have always been confused. I, I really appreciated the, um, uh, the list, the sugar, flour, high fat and salt, because I've always known sugar, um, hundred <clears throat> percent chocolate's my main, my main, um, you know, would put it in my arm. I could, um, but, um, I gratefully, I haven't had it since 1999. Um, and so that was always the, I know I have a chance as long as I don't have chocolate, like I stand a chance, but once I have chocolate, that's it. I'm sunk. Yet I know sugar is the biggest thing for me. Um, it was, it was almost like I, I was just working the steps and somehow it all worked out. So I'm confused. About, I get confused about the sugar a bit about the being completely abstaining from it if in the past I managed to do okay with it I don't know if that makes sense so we again I had to fully concede that my body wanted to ingest sugar cannot do it but at the same time I can eat artificial sugar and I'm fine and somebody might say well no if you're allergic to sugar then you cannot be allergic to you have to be allergic to artificial sugar that's not my truth People will often talk to me about stevia. I got abstinent before stevia was, was um, invented. I'm not gonna play that game to figure it out. But, and I, the way that I think about it is I don't want anything tickling my, my binge food, my allergy. So what happens with, with the way that I think that they cannot differentiate the true from the false is I'm not an alcoholic. So I, I'm gonna, I'll have a couple glasses of wine. I'm, I'm not an alcoholic, no big deal. Well, well, all, I don't know of an alcohol except grain alcohol that doesn't have sugar in it. Uh-huh. And what will happen to me is I'll have the, I'll have the uh, wine and I'm not going to want any more after the first glass because I don't really like wine. And maybe not the next day, but the next day, suddenly I'm noticing the Dunkin' Donuts things. Uh-huh. And then three uh-huh. days later, I'm in line buying the donuts going, how the hell did that happen? Because I'm not connecting it with the fact that I had wine three days before. Mm-hmm. that tickled that allergy until my body said, Oh, you got to have what you really want. Like you said, the sugar, but I'm not having the, I'm not having the, the, the candy bar or whatever that is. I have to make sure that I know my truth. Mm-hmm. So I don't drink alcohol, not because I'm an alcoholic. I don't drink alcohol because it has sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And just because I don't like it as much doesn't mean that since the allergen is, in, is inducted into my body, so again, just as more of a, a learning for the group, anybody, if you're in a meeting, because this is my opinion too, I think it's my observation, but there's a lot of people in OA who are not the 10%. Because why? We have a third tradition, right? Anyone who has a desire to stop eating can come to OA. Two thirds of Americans are obese. Two thirds of Americans do not need Overeaters Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And if you hear a speaker say, okay, I've been in OA, and I've been around for 10 years and I'm, I'm spiritually fit. So I can now have cake on my birthday and cake is one of my binge foods. My feeling is one of two things. Number one, they're not a compulsive overeater of the type described in this book or two, they're in relapse and just kidding themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that we need to know that because I need to know who I am. I'm the 10%. I'm not someone that can come into a meeting and, you know, just do the steps and stay abs- and just do the, the tools and be abstinent. I cannot get spiritually fit enough to eat my binge foods. I, I would be, I would 
look at someone like they're crazy. Like my brother's diabetic, right? If he came and said, Kim, you know what? I'm, my relationship with God is so good. I think I'm going to stop taking my insulin. I think that God's going to handle my diabetes and I'm not going to take my insulin anymore. I would think he's out of his effing mind. Who cares what your relationship with God is? Your body doesn't make insulin. It needs the insulin. Mm -hmm. so I cannot get spiritually fit enough to ingest my binge food. But what happens is I get spiritually fit enough, but I don't give a crap that I don't have my binge foods anymore. They have no power over me. So I personally, just for me, sure, I, for you personally, I would have a conversation with someone because maybe it's the high fat in the chocolate and maybe not the sugar in the chocolate. Like, like that's why I said, sometimes it's so good to get it down to ingredients. There mm -hmm. are, there's, Lori is a very famous, you know, speaker, mm -hmm. right? And one of the people always say, well, I can drink because Lori drinks. And he says that he, you know, he, it, he, he's okay and it has sugar in it. If you listen to Lori, he doesn't have a sugar problem. He's got a fat problem. So of course he can have wine. But if you have a sugar problem, you can't have wine, not because of the alcohol, because of the sugar. And that's, and this, this, since there's not another hand up, another thing I often hear is, well, I can't have white flour, but I can have other flours. Why does the color of the flour matter? And what I know for myself is what I've, I asked a nutritionist about this just out of curiosity, but white flour processes just like sugar. So a lot of times when someone only has a white flour problem, it's because they have a sugar problem and they metabolize the same, but I'm the kind of person, it's flour. It doesn't matter. I may not enjoy the whole wheat muffin as much as I enjoy the white flour muffin, but I'm still going to have that effect where maybe one day or the next day I'm going to have it. I could have corn on the cob and enjoy it. I enjoy it, but it's not entertainment. There's no phenomenal craving. I can't have a corn tortilla. Once that corn is turned into flour, there's something different that happens in my body. You know, I, I have rice almost every day. I can't have rice flour. I can't have rice pasta. I don't know why, but once it turns into a flour product, my body reacts differently. And that's why I just think in general for you, Sherry, you, you should not have to abstain from something you don't have a problem with. But I think it's really important for us to get clear what we do have a problem with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, and I guess it's like my, also my willingness is like, I know the saying is if it's, if it's a problem, leave it out. If it's not a problem, leave it out. Right. If I don't have a problem with something, then I should have no problem leaving it out. So I think the question is more is, is it an alcoholic food? Is right. it an alcoholic behavior? Is it an alcoholic ingredient? Rather than that's what we have to discover. I do, I enjoy my food thoroughly. Mm -hmm. the, the silly analogy I often use is I love showers. In my shower, I'm single. I have three shampoos, three conditioners, and three body washes. I love showers. I have my shower in the morning. I, will, I get out of it. I don't think about it till the next day. Right, yeah. I enjoy my food. Mm -hmm. but I don't think about it till the next meal. Mm-hmm. That's the freedom I get from having the allergy not be in me and having that, that, that spiritual awakening. I don't abstain from foods because I'm afraid someone else. I mean, I had someone in a meeting come up to me and tell me I wasn't abstinent because I was chewing gum at the time and it was sugar-free gum. And they told me you cannot have sugar-free gum and be abstinent. And I was not as spiritually fit. So I told them to F off, but, but that's, that's the real, I abstain from what is allergic to me, not what's allergic to other people. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for um, really expanding on that. I've got some, some, um, some clarity and some insight right now. So thank you for that.
Um, okay, and Gigi is back up with another question. So go ahead, Gigi. Uh, I didn't want to ask if somebody else had something, but if it's okay if I ask again. Mm -hmm, of course. Um, one thing that I've noticed is, you know, that I just have a sense of compulsivity about me. And um, nicotine has, was an issue. When I quit nicotine, it transferred to food. When I used to smoke cigarettes three packs a day, I was at a normal weight. Since I quit 20 years ago, I've gained over 100 pounds. So that's kind of a, you know, I can see the correlation on that one. When I first joined the program, I was at Marshall's constantly, you know, and so buying things for the house. And I realized when I stopped doing something, I immediately, you know, it could be cleaning, it could be home improvements, it could be meetings. Right now it's meetings. Um, but is there a way, I mean, without going to like every program that's out there and doing every single one of the uh, A's to be able to work just on compulsive compulsivity? you know, whatever it's called, um, you know, well, OA, you know, I'm new, so I don't know long-term, you know, working the program, I'm doing everything that I am learning uh, and hearing about, but um, maybe from your experience, if you could just speak about that, uh, I know I'm probably not the only one that uh, does that. So I'm gonna enter the, answer this more in a, in a general way too. Addiction is very specific, right? Allergy of the body and mental twist. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Just because I can get an effect from something doesn't mean I'm addicted to it. So if you can stop smoking without doing the 12 steps, that's not an addiction because you didn't need the steps in, or probably had a physical allergy, right? But you didn't need the steps in order to stop. So I think what happens is when we have an addiction and we stop eating, then we're looking for the effect in certain areas. I'm going to go out and I'm going to shop. I'm going to date men. I'm going to, I'm going to smoke because we're, because we, because we're, we need that effect, but everything we go to doesn't specifically need to have an addiction. So as an, a recovered woman, I still need an effect. And I get that effect from the steps in a spiritual awakening and a relationship with power. If I don't do that, I'm probably not going to go back to the food right away. I will, and then I do, I shop a little bit too much sometimes because I'm stressed out, but it's not an addiction because I, I can say, oh, I don't want to spend that money. My credit card is too high. I'm going to stop. So there's not an addiction involved in that. So if you're reaching for different things, I think this is just my opinion. Again, I see people that will 12 step hop doing the first three steps and never go into step four. Like, I'm just going to work on not drinking. I'm just going to work on not eating. I'm going to work on not having sex with men, you know, whatever that is, that addiction. But we think we have to really get quiet. Do I have the allergy of the body and the mental twist? Or am I just seeking an effect in something that, I, that is not healthy and I can always pull up on it and it doesn't, I'm not driven the way I am with an actual an addiction. But the solution, if you're in a program that you have an addiction to is to put the food down. You know, I remember someone in my home group coming to me because she had been absent for three weeks and she's telling me she's going to like blow her head off. She's like, she's, I'm just, I'm, I'm insane. And I just looked at her. I said, well, welcome to your addiction. Welcome to the disease. If you are comfortable now with three, three weeks of absence then you don't need the 12 step program. So the question is when you put it down, get through the step work. And then that obsession will be removed. And I don't know if you, if you need to go to another program or if you're addicted to another program, 
But if you're working on your food and you get through the food and then suddenly you don't have to go, you don't have to shop, you don't have to do other things. It might just be that you were chasing the effect because you are so uncomfortable because you weren't using the food which you're truly addicted to. Does that make sense, Eugene? You're unmuted, but I can't hear you. I don't know. Okay, yeah, no, I, I thought I was muted. It makes a lot of sense, yeah, because all those other things, although the nicotine was like 20 solid years of three packs a day, but then my father got throat cancer. I quit cold turkey that day, never picked it up again, but started eating and grazing 60 times a day instead of smoking 60 times a day. And that's how I gained the weight. So, um, but other stuff, like you said, shopping and all that, you know, I do it every once in a while because- something to do when I get bored, but you're right. I don't do it like I did, like I do food. It's not that same level of, um, you yeah. get effect, but it's not a phenomenon of craving. So you get some ease and comfort, That's right. but there's no phenomenon of craving. That's so exactly right. Yeah. The question is when you but get with on cigarettes, I did I cigarettes, I craved more cigarettes. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. So you had a physical thing, but if you, what you describe beautifully is a hard smoker. Because yeah. you, you had that, you had the physical allergy, you did it intensely, and then something happened which scared the crap out of you and you stopped. I am a hard drinker. Never had a drink till I was 18, drank alcoholically for 10 years. I have some good AA stories. If I went into a meeting, I could probably tell some good stuff. I was almost sexually assaulted. I've woken up in places I don't know where I'm at. But at the age of 27, drinking and driving, um, I drove a friend home and I went down the wrong way down a highway, almost killed us both. I've never had a drink. It scared the crap out of me. I never needed to go to AA. And if I had gone to AA, kind of like I'm talking about the 90%, right? If I had gone to AA and they said, meeting makers make it, join the softball team and you will never have to drink again. I could have not drinking on that. And I could have hurt a lot of alcoholics because they would have tried to do what I do. And if you're a real alcoholic, you can't do that. You can't go to meetings and join the softball club. I was able to quit drinking because I was of the consequences. That means I'm not an alcoholic. You were able to quit smoking because of what of your father. That means that you that means you weren't you 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 weren't nicotine anonymous. You had a physical addiction, and something happened in your life which allowed you to say, "Holy crap, I can't do it anymore." Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes great sense. Thank you so much. So, Sherry, do you want to take a five minute break now? I don't know if, unless there's any questions in the queue or. No, there does not look like there's any questions. So now would be an awesome time to take a break. Okay, so just so you know, we're gonna cover the mental twist when we get back. And there's gonna be a little writing exercise again. So if you wanna keep a pen and paper and I'm gonna to go to the little girl's room. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. Okay, we'll see you past the virtual seventh. We'll pass this virtual seventh-ration basket. Uh, according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions, our OA Rise meeting expenses, once again, our Zoom meeting subscription, and the cost of the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the OA Rise speaker recordings for you, like Kim today. Uh, contributions in excess of our meeting expenses will go directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. A suggested donation of $3 will allow this meeting to continue. Uh, once again, contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org, or they can be made directly on our website. If you are interested in doing this right now, you can go to the website at oarise.org and click on the contribute button, which we, sorry, which can be found on the home screen. 
uh, both of these options will um, we'll, we'll be putting in the chat. So we'll take a pause now and pass the virtual basket. Jan, are you interested in showing everybody the OA Rise website just so that they it's very clear what we're um, talking about when we say where to find the um, contribute button? Very simple. And you are still muted as well when you get to that point, just so you know. <laughs> so many things to do. Hang on, I will share my screen. So this is the OA Rise homepage. And you can simply click on contribute and it'll take you to a place to add, um, add a donation of your amount. Uh, if you're in Canada, uh, PayPal will probably work, but uh, other donation types don't work for us Canadians. Um, so if you can't donate here and you still want to contribute, you can always donate to the um, Region 1 website. Uh, world service, however you feel fit, but we would love to have it. So you can either do that or you can click directly on the credit card of your choice. No, I guess it's no, I guess it's the same diff. <laughs> you just yeah, yeah. click on donate with debit or credit card. Canadian debit will not work here as far as I understand. Oh, it does. Yep. Oh, it actually, no, 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 my, no, my apologies. Debit credit card does, but my, yeah, my credit card, will, I don't Canadian credit card does because we yeah. have different banking system. But actually, Jim, would you go back um, and just scroll down to show where the podcasts are? So just keep, keep to scroll, 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 scroll. Uh, recordings available. Yeah. So that is where if anybody wants to access any of the podcasts that um, are available, you can just go right there. The other thing is right underneath, you'll save view the files on our Google Drive. And there was, sorry, Jan. Yeah, sorry, I go back. I go back. <laughs> That's okay. Um, where it says view the files on the Google Drive. Uh, that will take you to where the handouts are for different speakers. So what we have from Kim will end up being there. And that's it. Thank you, Jan. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, we've already got the recording started again. Uh, let's start back up with Kim. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you, Sherry. And thanks for hanging with us. I know this is a long workshop, so thank you for uh, hanging out with me. Um, so I'm gonna go, we're gonna go right into the chapter more about alcoholism. Because again, if my only problem is the allergy, then you, all you have to do is separate me from my food for a certain amount of time, explain to me what happens when I do eat those foods and I would have a rational mind that says, okay, just won't do that. I remember an AA speaker saying that, you know, if, if, all your, if, only, if your only problem is drinking, punch a cop, you'll stop drinking because they'll put you in the clink, right? Um, and another, another speaker I heard said, I suffer from alcoholism and unfortunately the only treatment I've ever known is alcohol. So our real problem, again, is that mental twist. So if we go to page 30, regular 30, and um, in the big book, it talks about more about alcoholism. If I could change the name of any chapter in this book, I would change this one to why I have to come to Overeaters Anonymous. 
just for the reason I explained. So there's four, um, four stories in here. They're not about people that are drunk and can't get sober. They're about people who are sober and cannot get drunk. I mean, they're sober and sober and get drunk again. So in that first paragraph on page 30, it says, most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. Again, that 10%. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. So that's the two parts, right? Bodily and mentally. So just to kind of recap something that we talked about earlier, you know, I have friends that tell me that once they open up that bag of Doritos, they eat the whole bag. And I'll say to them, well, what do you do? And they look at me crazy, like, I just don't open up the bag of Doritos. What else would I not do? Because they don't have a mental twist. They understand the consequences. I also have a good friend that loves, 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 loves chocolate. And she thinks about it all day long and she comes home and she has one Hershey kiss. And I've seen her when she has that Hershey kiss. She gets that feeling that I get. But believe it or not, she has a bag of 30 Hershey kisses. It'll last her 30 days. She's also someone when we go out to eat, she always looks for the dessert that says death by chocolate or whatever. And she has a couple bites and then she goes, oh, too sweet. I'm too stuffed. Like I don't understand that in any way, shape or form, but she has this obsession with chocolate, but because she doesn't have the allergy, she never binges on it. So she doesn't need Overeaters Anonymous either. So I have to say, if I'm part of that 10%, do I have the allergy of the body and do I have the mental twist? So it talks about in here that the illusion that I can control and enjoy my eating. When I'm controlling it, I can't enjoy it. And when I'm enjoying it, I can't control it. And the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And they talk about insanity. That's what the mental twist is. I used to say, you know, is a disease of denial. Denial means I know the truth and I'm choosing not to look at it. I am delusional. I'm like the schizophrenic that hears the voices. There's nothing you can tell me that those voices aren't real. I'm delusional. Like want to be like other people, like my friend, Melissa, she's that normal eater. I wish I was a normal eater. I don't want to eat like Melissa. I don't want to have three bites of a chocolate dessert and stop. What I want is to eat the way I want to eat and look like my friend, Melissa. That's my delusion that I can do both, right? So we're going to go in and we're going to look at Jim versus Fred. So Jim is this gentleman that has a really crappy day has lost everything and he eats. Makes sense to me, right? I break up with a guy, of course I'm gonna eat. Then we're gonna look at Fred and we're gonna compare the two. Fred's the guy that has, hasn't lost anything, very successful, has the best day in the world, not a cloud on the horizon and he eats. Why is it when the relationship is going well, do I eat? You know, um, I know the way they have me pinned, I can't see all, but I think of that, that term, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, halt, right? great plan, except I eat when I'm not hungry. I eat when I'm in a good mood. I eat in social situations and I eat in a good night's sleep. So for those of you who can raise your hand, even though I can't see you, you know, how many of you have eaten when you're sad? How many have eaten when you're happy? How many have eaten when you were fired from a job? How many have eaten when you got a promotion? How many have eaten when the relationship failed? How many have eaten when the relationship was going well? you're screwed. You are screwed. That's what I thought. I spent my life thinking if I can make my life look in a certain way that I'm not going to want to eat. And yet I continue to eat regardless of what my outside circumstances were. So we're, we're going to compare these two and try to see what are the, the commonalities. So I'm going to be going back and forth pretty quickly. So if you don't want to just sit back and listen, 
But just so you know, Bill, Jim's story is on page 35, Fred's story is on page 39. So on page 35, when we look at Jim and they describe him, it says he normal, he, everybody likes him, an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition, restless, irritable, and discontent. That's what the, the doctor's opinion told us, right? That's what happens to us when we're sober. If we go to page 39, we're introduced to Fred. I, I got I, I'm in denial that I can't that I can read without my glasses, I'll tell you that much. Um, but Fred, they have his description. Everything's going well with him, but he has a bad case of the jitters and often has to rest his nerves. So he is restless, irritable, and discontent, regardless of the circumstances. One of the lines I love, which we kind of talked about in the last time too, in, in Jim on page 35, it says, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. So to me, that's when I try to live off the allergy, but I never go through the steps. So all went well for a time because I'm losing weight, people are paying attention to me, the allergy is not triggering me, so the food's not torturing me really. But then good thing, bad thing, you know, semi good thing, semi bad thing, tragedy, celebration, boom, I'm off to the, to the running. Why? Because I failed to enlarge my spiritual life. I failed to do the, the steps. So let's look at page 36. So the squiggly writing, that second paragraph, suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it wouldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into my milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't bother me, so I tried another. So suddenly is that white knuckled abstinence, right? I'm gonna avoid people, places, and things. I'm gonna avoid my triggers. I'm gonna remember my last drunk. And I'm just sitting there white knuckling it. I remember one time going through the grocery store and, I, and I'm in line and there was white chocolate peanut butter cups. And I thought, Wait, who thought of putting peanut butter cups white chocolate? How brilliant to make white chocolate peanut butter cups. How could I die without having white, white, white chocolate peanut butter cups? And suddenly the thought crossed my mind, I can't die without knowing what white chocolate peanut butter cups taste like. And I make that exception. I don't binge that day. But then the next day or the next day, and I'm off to the races. Experiment went so well that I'm doing it there. You know, I'm out in Philadelphia in this fancy restaurant. It's vegan for God's sake. How could it be bad if it's vegan, right? All that rationale that suddenly the thought crossed my mind. If we go into Jim, Fred's story again, right? Fred's doing well, has a perfect day. On, on page 41, it talks about the thought crossed my mind. It would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. It struck me that a highball would be fine before going to bed. So on the worst day with Jim, suddenly comes up. On the best day with Fred, suddenly comes up. So I can't protect myself by my, by my circumstances. That if I have this alcoholic mind, the time and place will come that I will eat again. So I like to look at page 36, that first paragraph, when they ask them what happened. When somebody tells me they pick up, I don't ask them what happened that day. I ask them what's going on, if they've, if they've recovered. What was going on three weeks ago? What was going on a month ago? How was your 10, 11, and 12? Because it's the thinking that drives us to the picking up. So what if, instead of trying to white knuckle it one more day, I mean, I have to tell you, I had six months of abs six years of abstinence 
on the whole entire thing was, I'm not going to have a bagel today, but tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll have a bagel, but not today. Tomorrow, that is a painful way to live. So if I can get a power greater than myself involved in this thinking, then I will never get to the suddenly. That's what recovered means. I'm in a position of neutrality. I'm safe and protected. I'm not cocky or afraid. But I also understand if I don't continue the spiritual path, if I don't make 10, 11, and 12 the core of my being, I'm three or four days away from a relapse because that thinking will happen again. And I have no choice but to pick up because my thinking will drive me there. So let's look at his thinking here. It says, yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. So again, Jim is a guy that not only lost his automobile business, he lost his family automobile business. I would think he's been enraged. I don't know about you all, but some, how you doing, Kim? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm dying inside. But I'm saying I'm fine because I, I don't know how to process those emotions. And having a few words with the boss, I got to tell you, my mom's got dementia and I lost my temper with her. And I can tell you, I had two few words with my mother. For the first time in my life, I said F, the F word to her because I'm going to downplay that. I decided to drive to the country to see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they happened to have a bar. No intention of drinking. I just thought I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for it. I've been going to it for years. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk, still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. So this is the, the thinking, the insane thinking in the head, right? When you have not had a spiritual awakening, you, these places are not good to go into. When you've had them, you have neutrality. But until you have that spiritual awakening, I mean, I, I think of people I see in, in um, OA meetings who are crying that they can't get out of the food and they're sitting there with a Dunkin' Donuts mug. I'm like, what the hell are you doing going into a Dunkin' Donuts if, you're, if, you're not, if you can't stay abstinent? They have really good coffee. Okay, you can buy the coffee at Costco and make it at home. Oh, but it's much better when they, that's, that's the thinking that we can't get. And the thing about, I've often heard even Joe and Charlie joke that, look, he's having another sandwich. Maybe he needs to go to OA too. And that's not the way I see it. I think in my own experience, I'm someone who loves tea. I really do, I do, 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 enjoy, do enjoy a cup of tea. And I'll go to Panera and I'll have a cup of tea. I'll have a second cup of tea and I'll have a third cup of tea. And finally I'll order the bagel. So it's not that I like tea that much. I'm looking for an excuse to hang out in Panera until I get what I really want, which is the bagel. Who knows if he even had the second sandwich, right? He's rationalizing all that. I don't have the ability to fight that thinking. And that's where the steps come in. So we often talk about promises. So I'm going to tell you about a promise in the big book. So if we look at the bottom of page 41 after now this is Fred, Fred, you know, has a great day. I mean, I I just know my experience. Most of my binges did not start out with, I'm going to binge. Most of my binges started out with, I just need to take the edge off. You know, that guy didn't ask me out or that guy asked me out and now I'm nervous. Either way, got to get that edge off. And then boom, because of the allergy, I'm off and running. So after this session, it says here, as soon as I regain my ability to think, how did he regain his ability to think? He had to have the alcohol down. We have to have the food down 
in order to have the mental acumen to work these steps. I went carefully over that evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatsoever against that first drink, not the third drink, the first drink. I had not thought of the consequences at all. I commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. You know, I always think of this one story. I'm a Catholic school kid and there's another girl in my inner group who was, went to the same Catholic school, but she's five years older. So we didn't go to school at the same time. But she told this story, which I, I just so relate to. She is allergic to flour as well. And um, her sisters had gone up to New York and there was a convent that they visited and the nuns make bread. And when they brought the bread home and on the back of the bread, it said two of the ingredients were love and kindness. And she thought to herself, oh my gosh, I can have this. These were made by nuns with love and kindness as carelessly as it was ginger ale. One more trip to the asylum for my friend. That's the rationale in his head, his head he has. I now remember what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come that I would eat again. They had said that Dilly did raise a defense. It would one day give way for some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, just that did happen and more for what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said they had a problem that had had them hopelessly defeated. I knew that it was a crushing blow. You know, thinking again back to my own experience. So, you know, I'm working an abstinence-only program, and in all honesty, it was I wasn't even totally abstinent because I was mimicking what a meeting told me abstinence was. So I still had that allergy going through me, which was, explains why it was so painful to be abstinent. And I had lost a lot of weight. I bought blonde hair. I bought blue eyes. And I remember being, I, I was in the intergroup chair. I was on the region seven board. I remember being at a region meeting and, and just in tears because someone was asking where Kim was and I was described as the thin girl and the thin blonde in the corner. That's all I ever wanted in life to be described as the thin blonde girl in the corner. And some people approached me and they wanted to me to run for world service. And I don't want to run for world service, but I'm not working steps. I'm a tools only meeting maker make it kind of girl. I don't want to say no to anybody. So I, my keen alcoholic mind tells me, hmm, if I pick up after six years and I just get back on track the next day, I'm not qualified to be on world service and all my problems will be gone and I can just get back on track and I'm going to be good. What I didn't take into consideration was just because I wasn't eating didn't mean my disease wasn't progressing. And once I picked up, I couldn't get more than eight or nine months. Then I couldn't get more than eight or nine weeks. Then I couldn't get me more than eight or nine days. Then I couldn't get me more than eight or nine hours. And when I had this big book introduced to me, and this is, I, I have always described, I haven't had this, when I had this big book introduced to me way, I never had heard it before. I don't even know if that's true. I was so broken. You know, when they talk about hitting a bottom, it's, it's a, to me, it's a spiritual, emotional bankruptcy. I was so broken that I was open to the big book. I had been to big book meetings before, but I, the big book was interesting, but you know, like I, I can, I can just do a 90, 90 and I'm okay. But I heard the big book in a different way. And I was in the middle of a five-year relapse and I was like ugh, crushing blow, hopelessly defeated. Oh, doesn't matter that I had six years. Doesn't matter that I was in a group chair. Doesn't matter, you know, all the different things that, that I thought would make me not want to eat. 
I could have all that and I still wanted to eat. I said two of the members of AA came to see me, which they grinned, which they didn't like so much. And they asked me if I thought myself an alcoholic and if I would really lick this time. So I love if then statements because if are conditions and then is the result. So this is the question I often ask my sponsees or at the end of my workshops. These are the two conditions that you have to concede to, to move into step two. If I thought myself an alcoholic, and again, it's not how fat I was, how many times I threw up, how underweight I am. Do I believe I have this allergy to the body? Do I believe I have this mental twist? Am I convinced I'm part of the 10%? And am I convinced I'm not part of the 90%? And if I was really licked this time, you know, they might, they might ask us, you know, do you want, can you willing to do this one day at a time? Is that what we have to do? But the big book never says, are you willing to put the food down today? It says, are you licked? Are you done? No reservations, no lurking notions. And when those two conditions are hit, are, are hit what's the next paragraph said? Then they outline the spiritual answer and program of action. So I cannot move on until I've surrendered both of these. You know, this is my opinion too. I used to work with, and I, people were like somebody who's just can't get out of the food. They can't, I'm not going to give up on them. I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to keep sponsoring them. I don't want to get between someone and their step one experience. The food is what's going to convince. The food is what convinced me. My mom was in OA since I was 10. My mom's, you know, one of those weirdos that came in and was absent from the day that she went to a meeting. That didn't matter. I, the food needed to beat me up till I was 27 years old for me to come into this program. And then it had to beat me up another 17 years before I was willing to do the work. So if someone can't keep the food down, yes, I offer fellowship. Yes, I offer to help them with step one, but I can't know, I can't take them past step one until they're, they're thoroughly convinced and have the food down. So we're gonna do one more paragraph and then an exercise and then a handout and then the final Q and A. So if we go back to page 24, page 20, um, page 20 and 21 talk about the moderate eater, the heavy eaters, and Gigi helped us with that. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm a hard drinker. I drank alcoholically, drinking and driving incident. I never, never drank again. You know, I'm a moderate shopper. I go to Costco. I spend too much money that I really shouldn't. And then I moderate my shopping and, I, and then I'm fine. But when it comes to the food, I'm, I'm the 10%. So here's the description of the 10%. It's going to tell me there's three qualities to it. I have no willpower, no, um, no choice, and no memory. So it says, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. So if I went to a rehab today, what's the first question they're going to ask me? What's your drug of choice? And the honest answer would be alcohol, because I drank alcoholically for 10 years, and I chose not to drink anymore. My food is my drug of no choice. I've, I've sworn a thousand times this is going to be different. I've written down an abstinent date in the front of my 12 and 12 and my big book and, and all the different literature we have in OA, thinking that was going to make me stop. Pfft, nothing. I, power of, I had no choice. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. I have willpower in many areas of my life. You know, I often use, I, I have a master's in accounting. And I got in a relapse, man. I graduated in relapse with a 3.9, right? I can make some crap happen, but when it comes to my food, I have practically no willpower. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force 
the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. So this is, again, this, this you know, if, if I have to be honest, what was my program the first decade and a half in OA? My, my program was people's opinions and slogans. And those slogans didn't have sufficient force. Remember your last drunk. I can't, you know, I'm listening to, I could listen to a thousand podcasts of other people's war stories, thinking that's going to stop me from eating. My own war stories don't stop me from eating, right? Voiding people, places, and things, um, services, slimming, all that stuff is great if you don't have the mental twist. And it says at certain times, and that would confuse me because at certain times a meeting would work, at certain times a phone call would work, at certain times getting that guy would work. But I can't do it on any consistent basis. And even when I can muster some of that quote unquote willpower, it's not with sufficient force. I can't remember between breakfast and lunch, let alone a week or a month ago. And then it says, we are without defense against the first drink. So again, I had to recognize it wasn't the third slice. It wasn't the second bite. It was that first bite because that's a physical response. It's as if I'm in Strawberries Anonymous and I break out in a rash. And what I ask is, okay, I don't want you to teach me not how not to eat strawberries. I want you to teach me how to eat strawberries and not break out in the rash. It's not possible. It's a physiological response. I am without defense against that first drink. So here's a little exercise. What I want you to do is take a, pat, a piece of paper and everyone knows the serenity prayer. So I'm just gonna use that. I want you to write the serenity prayer with your non-dominant hand. So if you're right-handed, write it with your left hand. If you're left-handed, write it with your right hand. And I'm gonna give you three minutes to do that. Okay, that's three minutes. Anybody give up?
<laughs> so, so, <laughs> so the reason I like that exercise, this is, it's an outside person. So um, the spiritual teacher I love, and she says, the spiritual life isn't difficult. It's just different. So the writing with our non-dominant hand is just showing us how different it is. We can do it. It's just different. So what I hope with this workshop is that you have a clear understanding of step one. Hopefully you're a little disturbed and uncomfortable and that'll help you to get a sponsor and move through the steps and understand that it's not difficult but it is gonna be different walking through these steps in this way of life. Um, I didn't, I have a little bit of time. I wanted to make sure we're done by five, well, at the top of the hour. Um, so I'm gonna share one more thing. Um, another paragraph to end this and then a, and then a handout and then Q&A. So page 25, because this for me was when I went, oh crap, 17 years in LA, inner group chair, done the steps a thousand times, the steps don't work for me. And I got so anxious, I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to do these steps. So the last paragraph, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were. So once again, not that you're hundred pounds overweight or 30 pounds underweight, or you throw up 20 times a day, do you have the allergy to the body? This is just for me again, too, when I hear I'm a critical level compulsive overeater, it almost seems like those people have to work the program differently. Now, I'm a garden variety compulsive overeater. I've got the allergy to the body, mental twist. No, um, no one, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I was just trying to read something. No, okay, go to the next thing. So it says, we believe in there is no middle of the road solution. So before, you know, OA, the middle of the road solution would be diet program, getting that guy, joining that gym. But even in OA, middle of the road solution might be, you know, hooking onto that cool person in my meeting, um, definitely worship meetings. I remember one time buying brand name Tupperware because I'm cheap and thinking, well, if I weigh and measure and put it in the brand name Tupperware, that'll keep me abstinent. Um, we were in a position where life was becoming impossible and we had passed through the region from which there was no return from human aid. That to me describes the bottom. And I can just tell you for me what my bottom was. Um, and, I, and I have to tell you, I did not recognize it till after I recovered, only looking back at it. But 11 years ago, when I started these steps, I was, it was, I was, I started doing them as a result of an ankle injury. I had slipped in the ice and, and my foot turned 180 degrees the wrong way, really severe injury. And so I'm laying in bed, you know, had surgery, had pins and screws put in my leg. And the only way I'm comfortable is to have my ankle like on five pillows above my heart. And I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm just gonna pee in my bed. I cannot get up again, it's too painful. I'm just gonna pee in my bed. And within five minutes, I'm like, hmm, I think I want some spaghetti. And I got up and I was on heavy meds. I was on Oxycontin and Dilaudid and all this Percocet and all this stuff. So I actually had vertigo. So I couldn't even use um, crutches. I had to use a walker. So I got up, let my foot dangle, which was the, the most painful thing. Got on my walker, walked past my bathroom, into the kitchen, boiled water for eight minutes as my foot dangled in so much pain. In the meantime, I went to the bathroom, made the pasta and once again, one box of pasta is a serving and in this huge thing of Tupperware and one whole you know, jar of spaghetti sauce, put it in my little knapsack in, my, um, in my, my walker and walked to my couch, sat down, was pouring sweat from the exertion and the pain. And as I started eating, I just started crying because I'm looking at my bathroom and I'm looking at my kitchen going, I will do anything for food 
that I will do for nothing else. And I'm like, I gotta do something about this. So it says here, we had but two alternatives. An alternative is different than choice. Choice you can do or not do. Alternative means I'm going one way or the other. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of my intolerable situation as best we could. And the other was to accept spiritual help. So up to this point, I thought the intolerable situation was being in the food and therefore my solution was abstinence. And what I'm hoping I'm teaching you in this workshop and what I became aware of 11 years ago was the intolerable situation is being abstinent. Abstinent in the morning, abstinent in the evening, back-to-back -back abstinence. I mean, it's so painful. And when I'm in that situation where I am like, my skin is vibrating, I'm so uncomfortable in my own skin, I'm so restless, irritable, discontent, I have but two alternatives. One is to blot out the consciousness, which is to pick up the food. And the other is to seek spiritual help, which is to pick up the steps. So pick up the food or pick up the steps. I don't have the ability to sit still. I don't have the ability to choose neither. I'm going one way or the other alternatives. And gratefully, 11 years ago, I wanted spiritual help just a smidge more than I wanted to blot out the consciousness with the food. So with that, I'm going to give you one more handout. And once again, I'm hoping that you find somebody that will help you. And this is with uh, working the steps. And this is just a beautiful description of why we are, this fellowship is so beautiful and so sacred. The parable of an alcoholic who was stuck in a hole and could not find his way out. A hopeless alcoholic had fallen into a hole and could not find a way out. A businessman happened to pass by and heard the alcoholic calling out for help. The businessman gave him some money and told him to buy himself a ladder, but the alcohol could not find a ladder, so he stayed stuck in the hole. A doctor walked by and the alcohol cried out, help me, I can't get out of the hole. And the doctor said, these pills, they will relieve the pain. The alcoholic said, thanks. And when the pills ran out, he was still painfully aware he was stuck in a hole. A renowned psychiatrist strolled by and heard the alcoholic pleading for help. He stopped and said, how did you get in the hole? Were you born there? Were you put in there by your parents? Tell me about yourself. It alleviates the sense of loneliness. So the alcoholic talked to him for an hour. Then the psychiatrist said he had to leave, but he would come back next week. And the alcoholic thanked him, but realized he was still tucking the hole. A priest came by. The alcoholic called out for help. The priest gave him a Bible and said, I'll say a prayer for you. He got down on his knees and prayed for the alcoholic and then left. The alcoholic was very grateful and thanked the priest for his Bible, which he read, but still he was stuck in the hole. Finally, a recovered alcoholic happened to be passing by and heard the poor man's cry for help. Right away, the recovered alcoholic jumped into the hole with him. The suffering alcoholic said, why did you do that? Now we're both stuck here in this godforsaken hole. But the recovered alcoholic said with a gleam in his eye, it's okay, I've been here before, I know the way out. And that is the absolute beauty of our fellowship. And I just wanted to show you a friend of my, one of my sponsees. Um, she worked at a thrift shop. So she found me this thing. So it's a little bowl with someone in a hole and someone reaching down to get them good out. And I always think of that whenever I see this on my little, on my table. So with that, the rest of the time is yours for any questions you might have. Or if you want to just share about what you got out of the workshop or what ticks you off, I always find it's important to talk about what ticks you off because that's where you need to learn.
So if anybody wants to um, chat, they just have to uh, raise your hand so that we can unmute you. And raising your hand is uh, right at the very bottom of your screen. There is a reactions tab and you click on that and you can raise your hand. Don't be shy, you guys. Oh, I have, um, uh, there was a question. Wondering if you can um, repeat the um, one leads to another, the second leads to, oh, sorry, Kim, you have muted. I, I, I'm sorry, I muted myself because I was drinking. Um, the first bite asks for the second bite. The second bite requires the third bite and the third bite demands the fourth bite. And that's the description of the phenomenon of craving. So the first bite asks for the second bite, the second bite requires the third bite and the third bite demands. The next bite or the fourth bite? Fourth okay. bite. Fourth bite, okay. And on and on and on, hey? <laughs> Ad finitum. Mm -hmm. Questions, anybody or comments? Sherry, I think Cliff might be uh, wanting to ask a question. Oh, okay. Uh, go ahead, Cliff, and unmute if you like. All right, thank you. Uh, first off, thank you very much. I'd really appreciate it. I came late to this, but uh, um, you mentioned you had handouts. Uh, is there a location to gather all the handouts? There were just two. It was the spreadsheet for helping you define your abstinence and the one I just showed you with the man in the hole. And I'll be sending them both to Sherry. And then she's going to okay. post them on the website. Yeah, She'll so post them on the website? Okay. Cliff if you go to the oarise.org website and scroll down mm -hmm. to um, where it says listen to podcasts, there's also another little line that says for um, to click on this for the documents, and that will take you to the recordings and you'll see um, Kim there and then also there will be documents that'll probably take um, maybe a couple of days for the recording to get done. Um, maybe give it until let's say maybe give it until Friday to be safe. Um, but uh, by that but it time, won't get done. By, by that time, I will have forgotten, but that's okay. That's all right. The other thing you can do, Cliff, you can just take my phone number. Um, my, my okay. If I, and if you email me and just tell me which ones it, because I do a bunch of workshops. So just mention that it was the foods inventory and the man in the hole, and I can send them back to you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. This was very nice. Thank you. And Kim, you mentioned about the other workshops that are going on. Is that something that you could put in the chat or should people email you, you said? Text or email me. There's an open workshop that we do once a month. It's every second Saturday. It's kind of this workshop, but there's two people that do it. Okay. Um, and I have a flyer through the end of the year. We're not quite sure what we're doing with 2023 yet. Um, the other thing is I do some closed workshops. So um, I do a, a step one workshop where I go through the four chapters. It's Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern for six Saturdays and every six weeks it rotates. 
That's for only for people who are in step one now. It's not for people that are recovered. Um, I also do a step 10, 11 workshop, which is on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. And that's a five week workshop on 10 and 11. And that's only for people that are recovered. So you have to have been through the steps uh, absolutely in 10, 11, 12. And then I also do a six week workshop um, for 12 steps in six weeks. And that's Mondays and Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern time to 9 p.m. Eastern time. It doesn't run every six weeks though, because depending on where my schedule is, sometimes I, I take a week off. Next time I'm gonna take two weeks off. Um, so if you text me, I have a description and the next start dates for all those. And just as an FYI, the reason I do that, my, my home group's like 150 people and I love it, but I kind of feel like I'm at a concert sometimes, you know? So I was craving small groups to have discussions with. So that's why I did this and keep it closed so that we can kind of get to know each other and have discussions and not just be a speaker platform, so. And Kim, actually, um, uh, would you mind sharing your home group? Um, yes, I belong to South Jersey Intergroup. So if you just Google South Jersey Overeaters Anonymous, and my home group is the Sunday 10 a.m. Eastern, um, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Meeting. We also have a podcast. So if you go into any Apple product, it's OA Big Book Cherry Hill NJ. And it's on the platform Podbean. So if you happen to have an Android, you can either download the Podbean app or go on podbean.com. And it's the same name, OA, Big Book, Cherry Hill, NJ. And it was, I guess it was a couple of months ago, someone texted me all angry that we name our meeting after a food, but it's actually Cherry Hill's the name of a town. <laughs> I never thought about it being a food until someone meant, I'm like, what? I'm like, no, it's the name of the town the meeting was in when we had physical meetings. So. So, so that is Cherry Hill NJ, meaning Cherry Hill, New Jersey. But you have to put an NJ. We, you, if you spell it New Jersey, I don't know if you're going to say it. Okay. And um, maybe for the people who are listening on the recording, um, can I, or would you mind giving out your email address if people do want to email you about the... Yeah, I, I don't want to do that on a... On a yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no have, problem. If you have 3,000 people listening, I'd rather not do that. Absolutely. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, no problem. But if someone reaches out to you personally, Shari, like through the website, you can more than feel free to give them the information if they make that effort. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a that's a great suggestion. Uh, okay. Any questions, comments? It was a great session. We can also close early if you like. So it's up to you. Oh, Audrey, go ahead. Hi, everybody. My name is Audrey. I'm a food addict. Kim, thank you so much for that. For that talk, um, that last page you posted really touched my heart and just, I'm a visual person and that just gave me a huge visual experience. So thank you so much. I don't think I've ever read it without crying myself, Audrey. Yeah, it was it reminded me about the hole in the sidewalk mm. and finally the person went around a different block so thank you thank you where can we get a cup where can we get the cup 
you can't I, this was literally in a um in a in a, in a thrift shop so i i have a feeling somebody made this and then they're you know they died and their kid just donated everything to the thrift shop or something because it it's obvious it, there's no name on it so i think it's somebody actually made it you know oh. so it's one of a kind but it, i love it Well, it's totally up to you, Kim. Well, I think you want to Cliff is talking, but he's muted. Oh, Cliff, you are muted. Hang on. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, is this supposed to be from a, a two or a three hour uh, session, just inquisitive? Yeah, it's two and a half normally. So it normally okay. would um, close at half um, past this hour. Um, but we have a very small meeting today. So um, and just to say about OA Rise, we have um, meetings on the first and third Sunday of every month, uh, Pacific time, it's from 1 until 3.30. Um, so come and join us. Uh, yeah, first and third Saturday of every month. Very nice. Very nice. Mm. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Cliff. You can mute me now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So up to you, Kim, if you'd like to um, wrap up early, we definitely can do that. Or if you wanted to, it's up to you. It's your. I think it's fine. This is the time for the people in the workshop. So if they're, if they don't have any questions, we can close. Oh, I actually have another workshop to do at seven. So I might even get a little walk with my dog if we close early. So. Okay. Okay. So if everybody else is good with that, we'll shut her down early then. Oh, Cliff, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just waving. I was oh. just waving. I wasn't raising my hand. All right. All right. Okay. Thank well, you. You're, you're an active participant. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay, everybody. So uh, what a great session. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Kim, for being our speaker today. It was really wonderful to have you with us. And we appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope because together we get better. Uh, a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise, sorry, OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support World Service Office. We'll post the seventh tradition contribution information one more time in the chat. Please give what you're able so that we can continue to keep OA Rise going. Lastly, OA Rise continues to look for members who are willing to give service at this meeting. You're always looking for speakers or perhaps speaker suggestions, as well as members who would be interested in joining our committee. And those who could volunteer, basically it would just be once a month for the two and a half hours, actually three hours, because we um, meet half an hour before the meeting and then being available for a business meeting once a month as well. So it's a commitment of four hours a month, uh, and then you are gonna be here at the meeting with us. So I highly uh, encourage anybody to come and join us. Uh, we are needing more volunteers, so would really appreciate that if you can do some service with us. Uh, no previous Zoom experience is necessary. It is very easy. If you're willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts. 
And thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we will open up the meeting. I'm sorry, we'll open up the chat for a short period of time and uh, you can unmute yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. Uh, please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope. Uh, the next session will be, I think it's October 2nd. Yeah, on October 2nd. Hope to see you there. After a moment of silence, um, we are going to close with the, have you already got it in there, Jan? The responsibility pledge. So I'll unmute everybody and uh, if anybody wants to join in the responsibility pledge, I will um, ask him for you to kick it off. Thank you. Oh, somehow, uh, oh, sorry, Kim, I apologize. Somehow I went to unmute all and I muted all instead. Okay. My apologies. So here we go. Okay, I got it right this time. <laughs> I just want to point out one thing before we start this. I, I love the steps are in we. The traditions are in we, the concepts are in we. The responsibility pledge is an I. Mm. Read this, think about it. Is this personal to us? Do I believe this is my responsibility? So always to extend the hand and heart, and heart of OA to all who share, share my compulsion. This. For this, I am, I am responsible. <laughs> Thanks, Thank everyone. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And appreciate everybody else to be here. So I'm, I'm sure we'll see you again soon, Kim. Thank you again. I'm going to email that stuff to you before I forget. So I'm going to do it when I log out okay. and do it. Sounds good.